if we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Eight minutes after 10 o'clock and hour number two is underway on this Wednesday. It's the eighth morning of the ninth month of the year of our Lord 2021. Thanks for being with us. I got another hour with you, then a little break, then another three hours uh, for Dennis Prager today. Looking forward to hosting for Dennis from noon until three. Some people think Dennis is only on uh, one to three now. Dennis is on one to three here because we bring you Charlie Kirk, who is just awesome, brilliant. I love listening to Charlie Kirk, too. But Dennis's show goes on from noon until three. So if you want to uh, catch that at uh, Dennis Prager's website, DennisPrager.com. I'll be there for him for three hours today from noon until three, and very much looking forward to that. I want to pivot, um, much to the pleasure of Joe Biden, away from Afghanistan for a moment. He's doing everything he can to turn us away from Afghanistan. He wants to turn the page on the 500 or so Americans who have been left stranded and abandoned in Afghanistan so that uh, you won't continue to be as angry as at him. And college football fans won't be chanting, blank Joe Biden, blank Joe Biden, and so forth. Um, but I do need to turn the page on it, at least momentarily, to talk a little bit more about uh, what is being done to us and the fear porn uh, that we have been subjected to to force us to change our lives, quite literally. Do you realize that... At least one in five Americans, over, in fact, 20% of Americans, at least those that watch the fear porn channels of CNN and, and MSNBC, do you know that they believe that the mortality rate of COVID-19 is at least five times higher than it really is? Does that make sense? They believe it's more than five times higher than the reality because they listen to the doom and the gloom. And I'll give you another one, by the way. I, I, I called them out before, and I'm going to call them out as long as they continue to push the propaganda of fear on the people of Northeast Ohio. WKYC Channel 3, at least in their online coverage, I don't watch the television side of it enough to know if it's constantly like this on their actual broadcast, but on their social media, WKYC is is maybe the worst offender in Ohio and maybe beyond. I don't know. I don't check enough sites in terms of pushing the COVID fear, the fear propaganda, the fear porn 
terrifying people every hour on the hour with another story of somebody who died of COVID-19 or somebody whose children or somebody whose grandparents or this, that, or the other. Oh, and then usually it's in, included with a, you know, a healthy dose of guilt. Uh, you know, uh, family member wishes they had encouraged uh, a victim of COVID-19 to get vaccinated. Don't wait until it's too late. It, it's just brutal. If you listen to the fear pornographers, you would believe that COVID-19 is indeed taking the lives of, of you know, 25% of the people that get it. The mortality rate is less than one half of 1%. But in a survey of 1,000 U.S. American adults conducted between August 26th and the 29th by Rasmussen, respondents were asked, what percentage of people diagnosed with COVID-19 do you think have died from the disease? According to Johns Hopkins University, excuse me for a moment, According to Johns Hopkins University, the COVID-19 case mortality rate, the percentage of diagnosed patients who have, who have died from the disease, is 1.6% in the United States. But according to the actual CDC, that mortality rate, as I said, is less than one-half of 1%. Nonetheless, 64% of CNN regular viewers, 62% of MSNBC regular viewers, Um, of those who rely on MSNBC News or CNN News, overestimated COVID mortality compared to 50% of Newsmax followers and 56% of Fox News fans. Less than half of those who don't watch any cable news overestimated the likelihood of dying from COVID. Likewise, more viewers from Newsmax and Fox News correctly estimated the COVID-19 mortality rate than viewers of CNN or MSNBC. 38% don't watch cable news at all and accurately estimated the mortality rate as less than 2%. CNN and MSNBC viewers, the fear porn viewers, were also more likely to think COVID mortality rate is more than five times the actual rate. 22% of CNN and 23% of MSNBC watchers said they thought the death rate was higher than 10% instead of the less than 1% that it really is. Meanwhile, only 17% of Fox News viewers and 18% of Newsmax said they thought the rate was over 10%. So what does all of this mean? It means that the fear pornographers, the propagandists, those who continue to push the uh, idea that COVID-19 is going to kill us all, uh, they have been very, very effective. They They have warped the minds and skewed. And, you know, here's the most frustrating thing about it. Social media, the the big tech overlords who run Facebook and Twitter and YouTube and so on and so forth, continue to block the accounts or suspend the accounts of the groups that are telling the truth, claiming they're spreading misinformation. The ones who are really spreading misinformation about the mortality rate and the threat of COVID-19 are CNN and MSNBC as proven by the viewers that watch them. The viewers that watch them are way off on the reality. The viewers that watch Fox and News, uh, Fox and Newsmax are much closer to understanding the reality of less than 2% and, in fact, less than 1%. So what does all of this mean, big picture? Let's go to one of those networks. Let's go to CNN. And let's listen to their COVID-19 expert, expert Sanjay Gupta. Why do I want to hear from Sanjay, Sanjay Gupta? Because this is actually one of the most important things that I think I've heard any of these loons on CNN who try to lie to the American people 
uh, about you know the real threat and the world really the real threat of COVID nineteen. I want you to listen to Sanjay Gupta discusses maybe the most important aspect of all of this. Deciding when to declare that COVID-19 will be permanent. You understand what I'm saying to you? The hard part will be when to decide to declare that this is just a way of our life now. Like the flu. COVID-19 is here. COVID-19 will always be here. Like the flu will always be here. It will spike at certain times of the year. It will wane in certain times of the year, just like we have flu seasons now. And then the question becomes, once we accept that it is here for good, are we going to live our lives hiding from it, under masks, remote learning, remote working, staying home? Or are we going to say, let our natural bodies, immune systems do their jobs the way we do against every other germ, particularly when the uh, mortality rate of this particular virus is so incredibly low? But listen to Sanjay Gupta. Again, I don't give you CNN analysts much for anything here. But this is a very real consideration. We also discussed, and I'm curious what you think about this, the, the idea... That at the end of the day, COVID-19 is not going away entirely, that, that it will become what's known as endemic uh, as opposed to a yeah. pandemic or an outbreak uh, that we live with uh, as one of many diseases and infections. And I, and I wonder if you believe that's where it's going and, and how, how soon, I, I suppose, is the next question. Yeah, well, look, you know, I have so many conversations with scientists all the time. I was doing it all weekend, and invariably the conversation goes to this. Are we in this endemic phase? And many scientists uh, believe we are probably there in the sense that this this virus is here to stay. Uh, Dr. Redfield even said in the spring of last year, he said this is likely to become an endemic virus just because it is so contagious. Let me show you something I think may make the point. Flu. We talk about flu all the time. Let's look at what flu does in any particular year. You can get an idea that in any given year it could cause up to 45 million hospitalizations, a few hundred thousand hospitalizations, and you know up to 60,000 deaths in any year. We're talking about flu. Some of the flu viruses that are from the 1918 flu pandemic, the great, great, great descendants of some of those strains, still circulate today. Clearly an endemic virus. The tough part of all this, I think at some point, is going to be a conversation where we as a society, certainly we as a country, say, what are we willing to accept? What are we willing to accept? Are we willing to accept numbers like that, like flu? Are they willing to accept higher? Will we only accept lower once we actually sort of really sit back and think about it? We know it's within our power to bring those numbers dramatically down with vaccines and masks and stuff like that. But at some point as a country, we may just say, you know what? We're willing to accept tens of thousands of people dying every every year because of this, like we do with flu. Less than half the country gets a flu shot every year, despite the fact that we have numbers like that. So that's going to be, I think, the most difficult part of the conversation. So what's your takeaway from that? Are we willing to accept lower once we actually sort of really sit back and think about it we know it's within our power to bring those numbers dramatically down with vaccines and masks and stuff like that he said but at some point as a country we need to say you know what we're willing to accept tens of thousands of people dying every year because of this like we do with the flu 
less than half the country gets a flu shot every year. Despite the fact that we have up to 60,000 deaths from the flu in a given year. So Dr. Sanjay Gupta has laid it out there. Do we want to live like a nation of house cats? Because there is a strain of a, of a, of a coronavirus out there that's going to continue to have new strains and new mutations, new variants, the way that we've had since the 1918 flu pandemic. You heard him. There are great, great, great descendants or different strains of the 1918 Spanish flu that are still circulating today, and it's killing people. But we don't ask for flu passports. We don't demand flu shots or you can't come to college. We don't demand flu vaccinations or you can't uh, work here anymore. We don't have the President of the United States demanding that all military get flu shots because thousands of people are still dying from the flu. We have accepted that flu is real and influenza can potentially kill you, depending upon your particular demographic, your age, your health, your comorbidities, etc. And typically flu has struck the very old and the very young, much more so than the, the middle part of the part of the population. And so we say, hey, we encourage flu shots, but if you don't want to get them, it's up to you. Even though it is contagious and you can pass it to other people. We have just said this is, this is our life. And our bodies adapt, and our bodies create antibodies, especially once we've recovered from a coronavirus or an influenza virus. And that our bodies are so much better than scientists can be at adapting to variants, at adapting and learning how to fight off, you know, the the uh, uh, progeny, if you will, of a virus, descendants of old strains of viruses coming into new strains. Our body fights those things off, and that's why we say we don't wear masks year-round because of because of influenza. Why? would we consider doing it because of coronavirus? Why? So it's very rare that I give legitimacy to a question or an answer or an explanation from one of the fear pornographers on CNN or MSNBC, but Dr. Sanjay Gupta has really kind of narrowed it down for us. The question is, we know it's going to be here. It's going to become endemic, not a pandemic. It's always going to be around. The question is, is are we going to live with it or are we going to hide from it? And I will tell you this. I would rather live with it and the threat that it poses than hide from it and be safe and miserable by not living the life that God intended for us. All right, your response is coming up, AM 1420, The Answer. Ohio's first station is now the answer for Northeast Ohio. We're AM 1420, The Answer. 1025, let's get right back to it. Tanya is in Akron. I heard Tanya on the Dennis Prager okay, show two yesterday. Hey, Tanya, boxes, welcome back. Head in the boxes, two pillows, and a frame. I'm a mind reader. You are a mind reader. <laughs> I just need driver's license. What's on your mind this morning? Tanya, Tanya. Oh, sorry. Hey, Bob, hold on. Yes. How are you? I'm great. What's on your mind uh, this morning? I just, I just got a notice from my employer. 
mm-hmm. that I have to uh, prove my vaccination status, vaccination, vaccination status, or one, they're gonna up my insurance by fifty bucks a month, a surcharge, and they're gonna reward the people that tell them that they have a vaccination and prove it. And I argued with this when they first announced it, and I didn't sign anything because they said, if you, you can either say you're going to get it, you have one, but they also said if you hit the button that says, I don't want to reveal my vaccination status, that they're going to make an assumption that you're not vaccinated, which would not be true with a lot of people. We're just saying, this is none of your damn business. It's none of your business. That's right. Um, Tanya, do, do they offer at your place of business uh, exemptions for health or, or religious reasons? Yes, they do. But I have not found out if that's going to be a valid reason for not revealing. Okay. It may be a valid reason for not having to take it and not being punished, but it may not be enough to reveal. I don't believe they have a right to ask me. I've taken no, a I don't shot either. for 40 I don't years, either. and no one has asked me to reveal that. So what else are you going to ask me? If we go down this slippery slope, what else are you going to ask me to reveal? The government doesn't have the hoodlum, and they know it's unconstitutional to do it. So they're getting their companies to do it, do the dirty work. And I just need to know who do I need to call, who can I call to get a lawyer to see how do I protect my rights? And well, I'll tell you what, people. you know, there there are a lot of lawsuits that are already being filed in Ohio and, and, and around the country against employers and universities and other places that are mandating uh, this vaccine or a vaccine reporting. Um, so, I mean, I'm sure you could probably find any number of lawyers willing to take the case. I would recommend, by the way, Maurice Thompson, you reach out to him from the 1851 Law Center. Um, but here's here's my thing. You know, what you need to do is call your direct supervisor and ask them if they have their colonoscopy yet. And if they say, what are you talking about? That's none of your business. You say, exactly damn right. Uh, and, and, and let it end with that. Because it's not your business as to whether or not they've had a colonoscopy, whether they've had a, 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 a breast exam, a mammogram this year, whether they've had, uh, a, a, you know, a prostate exam in the last two years, or whatever the case might be. Your personal health is your decision or your uh, business, and so is theirs. And until they start to look at it from that vantage point, they're going to continue to try to in- insert themselves into your personal private lives. I've, you know, Bob, you know, I've done that already. That's why I think that it went so far up. The president of the company has sent out because too many people are saying, hey, it's not your business. None of your business. Now we have right. to, if now we have to take a stance that what do we do when we say that? Do we are we willing to lose our jobs? Are we willing to fight them? Are we willing to be called everything under the sun? That's the part that I'm saying. Everything has a line that you don't want to cross. We don't believe in Obama's red line. We believe in a true red line, a blue red line that we're not going to cross. I am not going to tell them. Well, the, the best so I lawyer be I know, take- Tanya, the best lawyer I know, particularly when it comes to labor issues, and that's what this is, this is a workplace issue, is one Peter Kersenow. And I don't know if he's taking new clients or not, but if you can reach out to and I'll even talk to and next time I talk to him, I'll say, hey, there's a ton of people, and thank you for the call, Tanya, there's a ton of people that I know that are being forced into this and forced to reveal their own private medical conditions or uh, procedures or, or medications and whatnot. 
you know, w- w- what's the best legal course of action for these people to fight? I'll ask Peter that next time I talk to him off the air or on the air, uh, and I'll keep you in mind on that, Tanya, because, uh, like I said, I know you are one of many. All right, let me get a timeout here for news. i got more calls coming up, but I also have Jim Jordan coming up on AM 1420, The Answer. All right, 1036, let's dive right back into it on AM 1420, The Answer. Let's welcome Congressman Jim Jordan to our program. Jim Jordan is the 4th Congressional District Representative in the Buckeye State. He's the ranking member of the House Judiciary Committee, and he is an author, a new book that is coming out very, very soon, (laughs) Do What You Said You Would Do. It is one of the mantras that Jim Jordan has repeated uh, since his time in office. Mr. Jordan, good to have you back on the program. How are you, sir? I'm doing fine, Bob. Good to be with you. We're going to be with you in studio next week or the weekend. When is that coming? That's soon, right? I was just talking about that. Yeah, it's a week from today on the 15th. Uh, Okay, yeah, looking forward to coming up. Yeah, yeah, we're going to have two full hours together. Uh, rather than you answering all of my questions, we're going to ask the uh, audience to open up and, and come out. And what do they want to know? What do they want to know from you? What do they want to know about you? Yeah. What do they want to say to you? Uh, what do they know, want to know about uh, upcoming legislation? What it's going to take to win back the House in 2022? It's going to be a great morning. Yeah, it'll be fun. It'll be fun. Looking forward to it. Yeah, as am I. Hey, when do you get time to write books? With all of the work that you do, not to mention <laughs> all of the media appearances you make, how, how, cause you, and it's important that you're out there. You are a face, or the face, if you will, of a conservative movement that we are still rallying behind, a face behind the America First movement, which we are still rallying behind. You've got a lot of things you're doing. When do you have time to write books like Do What You Said You Would Do? Well, my, my Polly is amazing. Many times we drive back and forth, and so when we're when we're driving back and forth, she's actually doing the driving. And so I, I spend a lot of time uh, over the last year or two uh, that eight hour trip, and I spend a lot of time writing then, and it works out. You know, just it's it's kind of fun to tell some of the stories that have happened and and relate to what the, how the Freedom Caucus came together, and um, you know some of the things we were involved with back at the last Congress, and so I hope I hope people enjoy it when they when they get a copy. It should be out here in, in a couple months. Very much looking forward to reading it, reviewing it, and of course having you back on to talk about it. We'll we'll do an exclusive uh, show on on that uh, when the time comes. Um, Okay, Congressman, let's dive into the issues here. What we are hearing, and it's being denied by the State Department, but we are hearing from multiple sources. When it comes to the Americans that have been abandoned, not just stranded, Mm -hmm. I know Jen Psaki hates that word stranded, so let's use a more accurate one, abandoned on direct command Mm -hmm. of the commander-in-chief who kept his August 31st and, in fact, upped it to August 30th timeline to get all Americans Mm -hmm. out. We are being told that there have been planes ready to leave the runway uh, with private contractors getting American citizens out and that they have been stopped by the State Department. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. I, I I cannot believe this. I don't want to believe this because now it's more than just a yeah, abandonment. Now it's a refusal to allow them to be rescued because it's not being done by the State Department. I guess. What can you tell us? Yeah, look, I, I I don't know for sure, but 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 just step back and ask you know, what 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 would common sense tell you? Are you going to believe the administration that that oversaw an evacuation where thirteen service members lost their lives, where Americans were uh, 
uh, left, where allies were left, where billions of dollars of equipment and, and weapons were left, and some of the people they brought in we know weren't properly vetted. Are you going to believe that administration who called all that an extraordinary success, or are you going to believe Mike McCall, the ranking member on the, on, on, uh, in Congress, who was on Sunday, who said that he thinks exactly what you described is going on? So I, I don't know for sure I'm like you, but my gut tells me you probably believe Mike McCall, my colleague, uh, over what this administration has told us, and particularly in how they have handled this whole situation. What should we do? What should be our policy now going forward as it pertains to getting these Americans out? Now, uh, I, I'll repeat, Chuck Schumer, in fact, you probably heard this, Chuck Schumer mm-hmm. told a, a small group uh, of reporters and, and, and uh, constituents, I believe it was yesterday, that all mm-hmm. Americans who wanted to get out have gotten out, thank God, or praise God. And then he went on to say what we yep. should be concerned about is getting more of our Afghans out who were loyal to us. Um, last time I checked, the State Department is admitting to 100 Others who have been uh, a part of of uh, rescuing um, Americans have said it's more like 500. Chuck Schumer says no Americans are stuck there right well, now. The only ones who are there are the ones who want to be there. Well, we know that's not accurate because we, we've had people, private sector people who have a military background, like Corey Mills, uh, a guy I know and a friend uh, who, who, who went over there. Uh, one of the things we could do is quit hindering efforts like that. What Corey's doing, uh, he's got some Americans out of the country. So quit making it tough on people like that who are, who are doing the Lord's work. Uh, that would be a step in the right direction. Everyone knows what Chuck Schumer said is not accurate because we've had all kinds of reports from other Americans who say there are, in fact, Americans stranded, abandoned in, in Afghanistan. So let, let's not hinder the folks who are, who are risking their lives and are doing heroic work. Um, that, would be, that would be step one. And then State Department, quit trying to take credit for it and then actually just help those individuals who were doing the kind of work that Corey Mills is doing. Um, so policy-wise, uh, what, what, it, what would be your prescription right now? Lindsey Graham said on a program, again, I believe it was last night, that we're going to be going back in. We're going to have to reinvade Afghanistan, if not just to rescue Americans, but to stop what we stopped back in October, November of 20, uh, 2001, and that is to stop the reconstitution of the Taliban, Al-Qaeda, and ISIS-K, and some unholy alliance between them. Do you think that'll be necessary? Well, we'll have to see. Uh, what I do know is we should be doing things to reassure our allies. We should be, you know, making sure that, that the folks around the, the world who are our friends and allies know that uh, we're, we're still the United States. Now, it's going to be tough in light of what we've seen from this administration, uh, but it's always tough when Democrats are in control. I mean, I think we said this last week. You know, tell me when, when Democrats have done foreign policy right. I mean, Carter gave us the Iran hostage uh, situation. Clinton was Mogadishu. Obama was Benghazi in, in the Libya situation. And, of course, now we have uh, President Biden with this, with this debacle that was the evacuation of Afghanistan. So they never get it right. And the people who were in charge for Libya and Benghazi, those same people are the ones running foreign policy in this administration. I mean, it's, it's Susan Rice. It's, it's Bill Burns. It's Tony Blinken. It's, it's uh, Wendy Sherman. It's Jake Sullivan. The exact same. I deposed some of these people. Uh, we, we deposed them when we were on the Benghazi Select Committee. Jake Sullivan, Susan Rice. Same people making the same crazy decisions. So, um, you know, it, what we got to try to do is reassure our allies. And, and uh, But it's going to be tough in, in light of what this administration has, uh, how they've handled this entire situation in Afghanistan. Two more questions on Afghanistan, and quite frankly, we could do more and we should do more because Joe Biden wants nothing more than for us to turn the page and talk about climate change or anything yeah. else other yeah. than the stranded <laughs> Americans, which is why we're going to focus on, on Afghanistan because there are Americans in peril because of his direct command. So here's the next one. 
Back in 2014, I was on these Cleveland airwaves, and I said, we will rue the day. We will pay a price. There will become a day when we have serious regrets for Barack Obama's decision to trade for an American trader and deserter named Bo Bergdahl, mm-hmm. five high-value uh, yeah. Taliban detainees from Guantanamo Bay. Here we are now. It is uh, it is yeah. September 8th, just three days before the anniversary of 9-11, and that day has come. Four of the yeah. five are now leading the Taliban's resurgent, quote-unquote, government-slash-terror organization. Barack Obama, uh, you, you complained about it, too. Barack Obama back then, in 2014, said, no, 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 these people aren't going to be allowed to go back to Afghanistan. We're releasing them to Qatar or another third yeah. uh, a third country, and, and we trust that they'll stay there. Well, uh, and, and really take a crystal ball for us to figure out this day was coming no i mean look you were you were a visionary you you, you were prophetic in, in your in your uh you're just seeing this and your assessment of it all and it's it's come it's come true uh and it's and it's a sad thing but again this is what happens when you have liberals in charge of foreign policy who think that oh because they're quote so smart they don't have to project strength they don't have to project toughness uh, they don't have to project confidence from the Oval Office and from from that from their administration that everyone's just going to do what they want because they're the smartest people in the world. I mean, the, the arrogance of these folks drives me nuts. When when the fact they said all kinds of bad things about President Trump, but I'll tell you one thing about President Trump: he projected confidence and strength from the Oval Office, and people around the world understood when he said something, he meant it. And when Mike Pompeo said something, they knew he meant it. And he didn't. Mike Pompeo certainly didn't get treated like Tony Blinken did up in Anchorage. A few months ago, from uh, from his Chinese counterpart, we never saw that in the Trump administration, and that that, that is what the, the that's the fundamental thing that's wrong um, with the foreign policy of the Biden administration, and and you know now we're seeing it play out. And the same thing was wrong with Obama, and why we got these four guys now, these four terrorists running the Taliban organization, four guys yeah. we had in we had under control, we had. But no, 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 he trades them, and, and here they are running it. Yeah, well, and four guys, five guys, quite frankly, that should have been executed. Sorry, I, I didn't know that yeah. it was a bad yeah. thing to want to call for the death of terrorists. These are the people who were responsible for the death of 3,000 Americans on September 11, 2001. Why were we holding them in Gitmo anyway instead of disposing of them the way you're supposed to with human garbage? One more question on Afghanistan. <laughs> Um, because of the chaos of the withdrawal slash evacuation, because they went ahead and removed the troops first, and then when the Taliban came surging in to take everything over, we had to hurry up and try to herd as many people as we could to into C-17 cargo planes as we could. Now, the Biden administration is bragging about lifting 120,000 people out of there. But 50,000 of them, at least according to estimates from the experts, are Afghans who are unvetted. And they have been flown not just to other countries, but to this country. How do we vet tens of thousands of Afghans, some of whom may be American interpreters or family members loyal to us, but some of whom may be loyal to the Taliban? How do we now vet them once they've already been released into the United States? Bob, you mean mean you're telling me that, that they weren't all interpreters? They weren't all people who helped us. <laughs> I mean, no, I, I, I look, this is, this is crazy. But this is, again, it goes back to the start. When you plan it so poorly, when you say we're going to give up the Bagram Air Base and we're going we're gonna to just have the one airport within, what, like a $4 million population or a 4 million people population center, uh, that's where we're going to stage all this. And we, when you make this many bad decisions, have, have so many of the troops leave while you're still trying to get America. When you do it this wrong, of course you're not going to be able to properly vet people. And then when you couple the fact that you aren't properly vetting a hundred and some thousand people who are coming from Afghanistan, 
And you, you couple that with what's happened on our border the last six months, where month after month we set record levels of illegal crossing, so much so we had 212,000 in the month of July alone. When you put all that together, that is a recipe for all kinds of bad things that can happen to our homeland. And this is this administration. So, of course, they want to talk about climate change or whatever else they want to talk about, uh, because what, what they've done on every other policy area is, is been, been, just been terrible. Um, I don't know that this administration has done anything right. So, yeah, I, I don't know. We're going to have to check them out. Let's hope we're checking them out when they at least get here to the United States a little better. But based on this, uh, this track record of this administration, I doubt it. Congressman, let's talk about American health. Uh, over the weekend, we saw tens of thousands of people, collectively hundreds of thousands, collectively probably maybe into the millions of college football fans attending college mm. football super spreaders, according to the American left. You tweeted uh, with a photo of uh, Madison, of uh, University of Wisconsin-Madison, yeah. your alma mater. Uh, they were jam-packed, and you tweeted, Real America is done with COVID-19. God bless Joy Reid over on MSNBC decided to use that and declared that I doubt God blesses anything that you stand for, Assistant Coach Jim. <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, here you are celebrating freedom, celebrating Americans not hiding in their rooms, in their bubbles, with their yeah. masks on, spraying spray all around them to keep every germ in the world away from them. And she says God doesn't bless what you stand for, Jim Jordan. How do you respond? Yeah. Well, that's today's left. I mean, the, today's left is so authoritarian. They don't want to have any fun. They don't believe in freedom like we're supposed to in this great country. And, you know, I, I thought it was pretty cool. You, I'm sure you had the same reaction that Barstool Sports and Clay Travis had when he, he posted that. Bit. But when you saw every stadium full, like the, the big game between Clemson and Georgia, packed stadium, no one yeah. had a mask on. The game at Madison, they did the jump around at the start of the fourth quarter like they do. I mean, it's like it was good to see. And I think so many Americans are like, truly saying, God bless America, this is as apple pie as it gets, that's a good thing. Why not be happy? Why? Are, it always gets me, why is the left always so angry? They're always mad. Like, maybe it just, you know, we live in America, we live in the greatest country in the world, in spite of Joe Biden, it's still the best country going. So let's, why not celebrate, and particularly college football, which is as apple pie as it gets in this country. So um, anyway, I, I, like I think the you know the answer to that, sir. I think you know the answer. Why are they so unhappy and angry all the time? Because uh, that is American freedom on display. Because that is American yep. capitalism. Yep. They don't believe in capitalism. They don't believe in freedom and liberty. They believe in doing what you're told. They believe in controlling people. Yeah. I, and I'm not being. I'm not, I don't think I'm being melodramatic here. They believe in controlling the people. And when they see the people breaking free of control and doing their own thing, it yep. upsets them greatly. Yep, it sure does. And now we couple that with the fact that it's almost now, uh, we're almost for sure that Fauci knew this thing came from a lab, and Fauci knew that it was gain-of-function research that was going on in that lab, and they have been misleading us. They have been misleading us for a year and a half. We're almost sure that now that that's the case. But, no, they continue to tell us that, oh, no, no, it didn't happen that way. And, and I'm to the point now where I think, and so many Americans are, why would we believe anything Dr. Fauci tells us? Why? He's been wrong so many times, and he's misled us from the get-go. Well, he got that, we've talked on this show, he got that email at 10.32 p.m. on January 31st, 2020, a year and a half ago, that said, virus looks engineered, virus not consistent with evolutionary theory, which is a nice way of saying this thing most likely came from a lab, and he's been misleading us every since that day. 
And meanwhile, he looked Rand Paul directly in the face and on national television during a congressional yeah. hearing uh, and said, you don't know what you're talking about. Uh, said that yeah. I have never lied uh, to, to, uh, to the Senate or to the Congress. I have never lied, uh, and you don't know what you're talking about. I want to know when is he going to apologize to Rand Paul, and second yeah, of all, most it. importantly, when is he going to tender his resignation as the, as the chief epidemiologist or whatever his actual... He's the highest paid federal government worker, more highest than the paid. President of the United States. And he's been wrong every step of the way. Yeah, highest paid. He's got his own little fiefdom there. Hands out your tax dollars, my tax dollars, your listeners' tax dollars, American tax money to all these virologists around the world. They're the ones who are sending that email that night, one of them saying it looks engineered, not consistent with evolutionary theory. Over the next 24 hours, he goes into overdrive to cover his backside and make sure they get their story straight. So they tell the world that it didn't come from the lab. And no, no, it was, it was, it came from animals. It came, as I said this morning, from a pangolin to a, or excuse me, from a bat to a pangolin to, to a hippopotamus. And then to people like, you gotta be kidding me. No one, no one buys that anymore because it just doesn't make sense with, it just doesn't make good common sense. But no, that's, that's, that's Fauci. I saw you on Fox and Friends this morning. You left out Joe Rogan. So, <laughs> yeah, from a bat to a pangolin to, to a hippopotamus to Joe Rogan. The left went crazy on poor Joe Rogan. <laughs> you know, like, uh, what, well, I saw the Babylon Bee had a funny tweet. They said uh, uh, Rogan Rogan survives COVID. Uh, that it, uh, somehow that's anti science because Rogan survives COVID. It was just like the, it was what they've done to him. It's like it's ridiculous. Uh, well, they've they've I, demonized. I they have demonized ivermectin just the way they did they hydroxychloroquine, sure and and uh, you know sure it's have. only now Crazy. it's only now being revealed to people that ivermectin actually won the Nobel Prize in 2015 <laughs> for crying out loud for its incredible effectiveness in 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 a, in a variety of ways for humans, yeah. and now it's being called by the left it's horse dewormer. That's it. And if the you horse, take it, you're taking yeah. You're, yeah, you're taking a horse dewormer. That's what they said about Joe yeah. Rogan. Congressman oh Jordan, God. thank you for the time. I appreciate it. Give Keep up the good work, sir. All right, we'll see you. Take care. All right. That is Jim Jordan. It is 1053. I've got one short segment to go. I'll try to squeeze in a couple of phone calls on AM 1420 The Answer. Download the free WHK mobile app and listen to your favorite WHK programs or podcasts on the go. It's free in your app store. Okay, 1056, I've got time for two calls, maybe three. Depends on how long you are. So be mindful of your other callers. And uh, let's hear from you. Bob and Chardon, you're up, my friend. Go right ahead. Hello. Yes, sir. Yes, Bob, I'm going to get you off speaker real quick here. All right, go right. right ahead. That's all right. Okay, a couple of things. Uh, in summary, observations on my part. Okay. I went and learned from a gentleman many years ago at a sales seminar. What happens to you in life is not important. What is important is how you react to what happens to you in life. Far too often, I believe too many of our leaders at all levels have been overreacting, only to falsely empower themselves more at our expense. I believe too many leaders think that we cannot handle the truth, yet the truth is out there, as they used to say on the X-Files. They do not want to share it with us, though, because it affects their power hold over all of us. So as a result, many of us no longer want to trust no one, also from the X-Files. Bob, when you get a chance, I know on another station, you used to talk about movies, and you love to give them your own uh, uh, approval of certain ones. There's a 2006 sci-fi movie called Aeon Flux with Charlize Theron. 
It's about a 2011 virus killing the world population off until a vaccine was invented. Unfortunately, as time went by, they found out that the vaccine actually sterilized the population that was left, held up in one city somewhere in the world. What's the name of the movie? When Eon Flux with Charlie's Theron. Eon Flux. It's right, extremely I it, Bob, unusual. I, Bob, I appreciate it, my friend. I want to get another call in here before we're done, so I thank you for that. Navy man Norman Strongsville. Go ahead, Norm. We had a great rally last night in Strongsville, back to blue. There was about 400 good citizens that showed up to show their support for the police, Bob. We had Sheriff David Clark of Milwaukee there, and it was a wonderful, wonderful time. And I just wanted to echo what you said earlier about our local TV stations. Uh, Channel 3, I'll, um, I'll argue with you, Channel 8 is the worst. They always come out with their gloom and doom music, and announcing their wonderful statistics that show that the virus numbers are going down. I will take your word on that, like I said, because I don't watch enough of the newscasts on their actual broadcasts to know. I'm solely going by their websites and their social media. No one is worse than uh, than 3 News. Thank you for the call, Norm. No one is worse than 3 News in the gloom and doom and in the uh, fear pornography business, uh, at least online. Thanks, everybody, for being a part of this show. We'll see you tomorrow. Bye-bye.